The JT Miller trade speculation continues to thrive just days away from the NHL draft. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. I am Jamie Dodd, but not joined, as I typically am, by uh, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. He's en route to Montreal to cover the NHL draft. So filling in today and joining me on the show is the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, the one and only Brendan Batchelor. Batch, what's going on, man? Not too much. Good to be with you, Jamie. Uh, excited to talk about where JT Miller is going to end up yes. or if he's going to end up anywhere based on some of the most recent reports we've been seeing. Yeah, man, there are. We'll get into that. And don't worry, we're going to have a lot of time today to to, to pour over all of the latest uh, JT Miller rumors because there's been some really interesting reporting on this station around the NHL from some of the top insiders uh, from some of our own local insiders as well on the subject and you know I'll play some of that uh, some of the audio back but I first just want to kind of throw this out to you throw this out to our listeners as well text in 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line it's the smart alternative visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com it's been JT Miller rumor season for so long now batch but now it's really JT Miller rumor season, if you know what I do. I mean, we are we are just a couple days away from the NHL draft. It really feels like we're going to reach some sort of conclusion, or at least there's a very good chance we reach a conclusion either way at some point this week. So I just want to kind of do a vibe check for our listeners, right? It's been a, a roller coaster the last six months talking about JT Miller. But as I said, we're kind of in the home stretch here. So text in 650-650. What's your current gut feeling? for where things between the Canucks and JT Miller are headed. Do you think he's getting dealt? Do you think he's coming back? Have you changed your position at all based on everything we've heard over the last couple of days? Hit us up, 650-650. And Batch, maybe I'll just throw that to you right off the top here as well. I mean, again, before we hear from Saravelli and before we hear from Friedman, just kind of on a purely gut emotional level, what's your sense of where things stand right now and where we might be headed over the next couple of days? Yeah, I assume he's going to be traded. At this point, uh, you know, uh, I see a, a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line asking who's reporting that he's staying. There haven't been reports that he's staying uh, so much as that the Canucks are going to take another run, uh, a serious run at trying to extend him uh, here this week is is kind of what's what's been out there. I know Satyar Shah was talking about that on our very airwaves yesterday. But my gut check is that it doesn't make sense for the Canucks and JT Miller long term. Uh, The biggest reason why being that uh, he's going to cost too much, likely over too long of a term. And as much as JT Miller has been a key player for this team, to me, you only sign a contract like that if you think that you're a contender or you think that you've got a chance to be a contender. And I don't see the Canucks in that situation just yet. So to me, you know, adding up all the facts and looking at everything, it makes sense that they move on from JT Miller. Now, whether that happens today, tomorrow, this week, next week, uh, a couple months from now, mid-season at the trade deadline, like we could could get into all of that. But, uh, you know, I expect based on the way this management group seems to want to be proactive rather than reactive, that 
if they can't come to some sort of agreement or or meet in the middle on on a contract that makes sense for both sides here in the coming days that that he's a player that that will be traded sooner rather than later that's that's my vibe check right yeah there you go and pretty reasonable i gotta say batch a pretty reason to take there uh from brendan bachelor and to just kind of frame the conversation and you alluded to it a little bit uh, Jeff Jeff Merrick and Elliot Freeman on 32 Thoughts today had a few interesting things to say about the Canucks. We'll play some more of it later, uh, including the potential for maybe a surprise move or two that could be in the pipeline for the Vancouver Canucks. But let's start with what they had to say on JT Miller, an update on where things stand and the names of a couple teams that could potentially be interested. Here's Friedman from 32 Thoughts today. I'm assuming they'll take one more shot at standing Miller. I just don't know. It seems to be against what Vancouver wants to do in, with term. Let me ask you one thing about JT Miller. Just from the outside, it very much looks like this is sizing up. If they're going to do a deal that is either going to be with the Washington Capitals or the New York Rangers, does it feel slash seem the same way to you? I always assume there's teams out there that we're not thinking about, but those two make a lot of sense. That's Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast. You can go get that at Sportsnet or wherever you get your podcasts right now. We'll play some more clips from that. But yeah, the thing I want to zero in on first, and you know, the names of the teams there is really interesting, Batch. But as you said, Friedman says, you know, they're going to take a final run at it, right? They're going to take a final run at it. That could be today. That could be tomorrow, maybe at the latest. But there's going to be this kind of last gasp of negotiations between the Canucks and JT Miller. And that matches what our own Satyar Shah had to say on Canucks Central, right? Like this, whether it was last night, today, tomorrow, this is crunch time to see, okay, is there any possible way, any possible way that we can get something done here that makes sense for both sides? But, I mean, just from the outside looking in, doesn't it feel like if there was going to be a common ground that made sense, it wouldn't necess- you wouldn't necessarily be hashing that out in the days before the draft. You know what I mean? It feels like it's very <laughs> late in the game for a kind of Hail Mary attempt to get a team-friendly extension. And I think if there was something that was going to make sense, I- don't you feel like we would have heard a little bit earlier than this that, oh, hey, actually, there's some momentum here. The-, the-, the two sides feel like they're getting closer. It just feels like it's so late in the game to kind of pull that, that rabbit out of the hat at this stage. Yeah, on... On the one side, I agree with you completely, and what you say makes a lot of sense. On the other side, I look at it and I say, well, how did the Brock Besser negotiation go? Yeah, that's very true. They were far apart, and then all of a sudden, a deal was done. So, you know, deadlines can, can bring that sort of pressure into these sort of conversations. And if the Canucks see this week or next week as some sort of deadline to have clarity on JT Miller so they can make a decision about their future... I know it's not a firm deadline like there was with the Besser negotiation where they wanted to avoid going to arbitration. So that was the real pressure point. If the Canucks have some sort of self-imposed deadline when they want clarity about Miller so they can make decisions for both the short term and the long term of this club, you know, I'm, I'm not ruling out that things could change. But having said all of that, I still agree with you that I think on a contract like this for a player like Miller after the season he had last year and the level of interest there will be for him on the trade market, you know, it it would surprise me. It would very much. And we're, and we're going to get into this a little bit talking about, you know, people saying that the Canucks might surprise some people. Mm -hmm. What would be a surprising thing for the Canucks to do at this time of the year? 
I would be surprised if JT Miller is extended, you know, in the next week, let's say. And, you know, I take your point about the Besser negotiations, right? And it was, you know, on Thursday, it was, oh, there's an impasse here. They're far apart. And then boom, Friday, the deal happens. So things can move late in the game. But as you kind of alluded to there, I think the difference with Besser was that arbitration deadline, the deadline to file for team elected arbitration, that had weight that Besser's camp kind of had to consider. And I'm not sure there's a similar deadline from JT Miller's position, right? I I understand why there's a deadline from the Canucks position. They want to have clarity. They want to know, are we going to keep this guy or should we start exploring trades this week in Montreal? But what about the the draft is going to make JT Miller move off whatever number he's on? You know what I mean? I think that's the key situation here is I don't see... I don't see what's going to spur movement from Miller to either change the term or change the AAV because he's probably looking at it saying, hey, listen, if there's teams lined up to, tr- to give some really premium assets to trade for me, it stands to reason they'd also be interested in signing me long term as well, right? So I, I don't necessarily see the incentive for JT Miller to move this late in the game. Look, you never know, right? And, and I, I think... As much as my gut is says the same thing as you, that he'll probably get traded this week, I also realize it's so incredibly difficult for a team to actually pull the trigger on moving uh, a 99-point player. So maybe it's it, it doesn't have to be JT Miller moving. Maybe it's the Canucks who, who blink in the end and kind of, uh, you know, and I don't want to say call JT Miller's bluff, but move a little bit to his position. But it just seems the dynamics are different enough from Besser, right, that I don't know if there's going to be that kind of pressure point that forces one side uh, to move off their number here. Yeah, it would only be the Canucks moving. Yeah. And, right, if, if the Canucks, you know, because of, of wanting to have clarity about it, move enough to heat up conversations, then maybe that's a scenario where they can get something done. But you're absolutely right about Miller. There's no motivation for him to move unless his highest priority is to stay in Vancouver over getting, you know, the top available contract that that he could get. And I think if that was his number one priority, then they already would have come to an agreement. So, uh, you know, and that's not me speaking ill of JT Miller. That's just the realities of negotiation. If you want to get what you feel you're worth, uh, you you may not be able to get it here in Vancouver with where this organization is at in its its current arc, its current you know mm-hmm. scenario with new management coming in and how they want to shape this roster going forward. So um, again, never say never, but I think the upshot of of all of this is you know uh, hey we're we're here on sports radio. It's a long winded way of us talking about the fact that we both expect JT Miller to be traded sooner rather than later. yeah. And as you said, it would kind of have to at this point. It feels like it would have to be the Canucks moving in a big way this week to try to get it done. And you know, I just think to of all of the things that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine have said about this situation and also just how they've behaved in other situations. And yeah, of course they've been very complimentary of the player. You know, how could you not? He was such, he was a hugely important part of uh, the team last year. They're their best skater. He's been one of their best skaters for the entire, his entire tenure here in Vancouver. But you also just think of all the times that, you know, Jim Rutherford has cautioned, you know, the numbers can't get out of whack. We've heard so often that they don't want to go beyond a certain term. They're really concerned about term and I just look at some of the other situations that they've had to deal with in their 
brief time relatively uh, as the powers that be in the Canucks hockey ops department. And, you know, look at the Tyler Mott situation, right? They negotiated with him, but it didn't make sense. And so they ended up doing a trade and, you know, doing a trade for maybe not the return that people would have guessed for Tyler Mott, but because the numbers didn't make sense, they were comfortable moving on from the player. Now, look, it's easier to kind of hold the line when you're talking about Tyler Mott than, than it is when you're talking about JT Miller. But I still just think this front office has kind of demonstrated when they draw that line in the sand, they're pretty serious about it. And, and again, that's just another reason why it would surprise me a little bit to see any sort of significant movement on their end to make that last gasp deal happen with JT Miller. Uh, we got lots of great texts coming in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We're, we're asking for the vibe check. Where do you think, where does your gut say things stand with JT Miller? What do you think is going to happen over the next few days with the player? Before we get into some of the great submissions from the listeners, I wanted to play this from Frank Saravelli as well. He was on doing his Monday hit with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah on Canucks Central yesterday. And of course, they really got into the JT Miller situation. Uh, here's what Frank Saravelli had to say. Look, I don't think there's any secrets here, Sat. Like, I think everyone kind of knows the general ballpark that JT Miller has played himself into, and it's probably a little bit rich for the Canucks in terms of, you know, maybe not even so much the dollars, but also the term uh, that I think is probably problematic for the Canucks and, and what they'd like to accomplish. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all, you know, and I don't know if we're going to get any sort of definitive answer uh or if that will be made public you might have a better sense of that than me but you know i i think the writing has been on the wall for a little while the question is who's gonna step up and will someone do it in enough time to make the canucks pull the trigger and make it happen um you know one team i think to to keep an eye on you know we had talked and mentioned previously for a while the idea of the new york rangers I think another team to keep an eye on in the JT Miller watch is right across the Hudson River in the New Jersey Devils. I think they're a team that uh, really, really likes JT Miller and, and would like to do what they can to try and bring him there. That's Frank Cervelli, uh, NHL insider for Daily Faceoff and regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650 yesterday on Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah giving us an update on on his perspective on JT Miller and a couple things stand out there to me, Batch. I mean, first of all, highlighting the New Jersey Devils as a team that could be very, very interested in Miller's services. And if you're on Twitter, you saw, you know, Devils fans really react to that in stride and, and not overreact to it at all, uh, what Frank Cervelli was reporting yesterday. And the other thing was just the phrase, you know, the writing is on the wall, right? Which, which matches so much of the, the conclusions that we're kind of drawing as well. And obviously Cervelli's an insider. He's talking to people close to the situation. But I think it matches what you would kind of conclude if you're in our perspective, from our perspective as well, where there's just so much evidence piling up, pointing in one direction. Uh, I, I want to talk about the three teams that we've heard the insiders mention now on the show. So that's New York Rangers and Washington from Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman and the New Jersey Devils from Frank Zaravelli. Before I do, let's dive in to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line uh, where people are sharing their vibe check on where JT Miller or where things stand with JT Miller. This one from Jeff in Comox says, Miller vibe check, I hate to see him go, but the fan base will be happy to move on uh, when the Canucks get the Devils First pick, which is second overall, as well as Jesper Brat. That's that's going to be a pretty steep price, Jeff. But uh, I, I that sure would help Canucks fans get over uh, missing JT Miller if that was the return. 
Lots more text coming in. Uh, Brendan and Nanaimo says, I can't see the Canucks trading Miller until the acquiring team is able to sign him, kind of like the Fiala process. The one thing I'll say about that is, yeah, JT Miller isn't eligible to sign an extension until the 13th, but if a team acquired him at the draft, let's say, they could immediately begin talking, right? They, you would be allowed to actually talk about an extension. You just wouldn't be able to actually sign it uh, until the 13th. Jay Fid texts in, Miller is gone, but the return will be less than expected. And Rager says, I don't even care if Miller moves off his number a bit. I think this franchise needs the return in the trade for Miller. And that that's an interesting perspective from Rager, right? Because, you know, so far you and I batch, we've been talking about it from the perspective of, okay, will a long-term deal make sense for the Canucks? And we're saying, you know, probably not given where they stand in their kind of competitive cycle. But as Rager points out, there's two factors here. One is not committing that kind of money to a player who's going to be 30 very soon. But the other part is what a potential return in a JT Miller trade could do for a team that kind of desperately needs prospects and young players who are cost-controlled coming into the lineup. Yeah, and it's entirely possible that now is the absolute best time to trade JT Miller. Now, who knows, you know, let's let's go through a hypothetical scenario where they don't move him and maybe they can uh, get a return at the deadline from a team that really wants to go all in and, and try and push uh, for a Stanley Cup. But, you know, right now he's coming off a 99-point season. There is a distinct possibility that we have just witnessed JT Miller's best offensive season in the National Hockey League. Now, there's also the possibility that he still has room to grow and, you know, can can be a hundred point player or or even greater if put in the right scenario on the right team. And, you know, that will remain to be seen and and any team that's acquiring him will hope and believe that that is the case. But, you know, with the number of teams, you know, we're talking about three teams that seem to make a lot of sense here in the Rangers, Capitals, and Devils. But I guarantee you there are more teams that are sticking oh, yeah. around JT Miller than just those three. So, you know, you've got a market that has serious interest in Miller. You have a player whose value may never be higher than it is right now. You are primed to potentially get a massive return. You know, just speaking specifically on the Devils, the fact that the second overall pick could be in that conversation, and I say could be uh, with an asterisk around it, of course, because, you know, that's that's a very prime asset that most teams are not willing to move. That sort of shows you what the the conversations are around JT Miller and what the return could mean for the Canucks organization in the long term. You know. Just look at the the Kevin Fiala return and then imagine that, you know, as Drancer has said on these airwaves, I believe this as well, that that return kind of has to be the baseline for what you're looking for in a return for JT Miller, where you're getting a, a high pick and a top level prospect that can help your organization going forward. Even if that is the return, if we're saying that, you know, you're taking the Kevin Fiala return and you're dropping it in to the Canucks in exchange for JT Miller. That is still a return that has the the possibility to alter your franchise for a variety of reasons. One, the two assets you're acquiring, and then two, the cap space that you create by moving Miller out 
that can allow you to to help complement this roster in other areas. So that's a very good point. And it's a very important part of this conversation. It's not just, you know, will they or won't they trade JT Miller, but how could the return in a potential Miller deal set up this organization, not just for today or for tomorrow, but for years and years to come. And a scenario where the second overall pick could be in play has the potential to be franchise altering, franchise defining. So those are the sort of stakes we're looking at here with the JT Miller trade and what the Canucks are able to get back for him if indeed they make that move in the coming days. Well, and as you said there, Batch, you know, maybe, look, if I had to bet, I wouldn't bet on the second overall pick coming back, right? But I think just the fact that, you know, somebody like Frank Saravelli is talking about it and it doesn't seem kind of laughably ridiculous. You know what I mean? It kind of shows you just how good the asset is that we're talking about in JT Miller. That that you can float the possibility of the second overall pick and it's not something you just laugh at out of hand. It does seem at least plausible that that would be the kind of return for the player we're talking about. And I I agree with your point on the Fiala deal as well. You know, if they got something basically equivalent back for JT Miller, I wouldn't look at it as a home run, but I think you could be happy with it. I think you could be pretty pleased with getting two really high-quality assets in return for the player. Uh, you were also talking about the timing of the decision, which I think is interesting, because this one comes in unsigned. It says, if I'm Alvin, I'm waiting until January to make a decision on JT Miller. And I understand the the thought process or the temptation there, right? Hey, be patient. You know, Just take your time. Don't rush into a deal. Don't force a deal if there's not the best one on the table, all of that. But there's just so much that could go wrong with that approach, right? And I mean, first and foremost, you know, JT Miller's health, JT Miller's production. If, if that doesn't go your way, you could be in a really tough position uh, come deadline t- season. It's also, I think you're likely to have more bidders in the in the offseason. It's always just easier to make deals work with the salary cap in the offseason. But I think the other part of it is... If the Canucks are on the fringes of a playoff race come January, is there any chance they're trading JT Miller in the middle of a playoff race? Like, like it just seems it would be so difficult to do at that juncture when you're desperate to get back in the playoffs, desperate to start playing, you know, playoff games in front of your home fans again, which you haven't done for so long at this point. I just think it would be so, so hard to actually do the deal at that point if you want to maximize value, if you don't want to run into some really difficult dilemmas in six months or seven months' time when the season is in full swing. I kind of think you got to decide one way or another. Are we trading them or are we signing them this week? Because there's just so much that can go wrong if you kick the can down the road and wait to make that decision. Yeah, so something that immediately jumps to mind for me with this conversation, and maybe part of it is that I've been watching Suits on Netflix, so I'm thinking like a amazing, lawyer a little amazing. bit. Um, you want to negotiate from a position of strength, not a position of weakness. So right now, if you look at the Canucks position, it's a position of, of relative strength, I would say. There's multiple teams interested on the market. Uh, there's more flexibility for those teams to make a deal work. The Canucks don't have a severe pressure point that they have to make a trade. So they have, you know, a little bit of time here, you know, maybe we think that they need to make a move. I've seen a couple of texts into the inbox that, you know, if they're, if he's not traded by the draft, then they have to resign him. So maybe there are some soft deadlines there, but if you look at the Canucks from a negotiating position, whether it's with a trade or with a potential extension for Miller, you're in a situation now where there isn't a deadline. You're not up up against you know a pressure point. That completely changes 
if you carry this forward to the trade deadline, where pressure points can sometimes work out for you, but they can sometimes bite you as well. And, you know, there are so many potential scenarios that could go wrong between now and then. As you point out, Miller has a a poor first half of the season and his value goes down or gets injured and isn't tradable at all uh, if he's out long-term. Or the Canucks continue to do what they did under Bruce Boudreaux down the stretch, come in, have a very strong start to the season, and then the conversation is not trading JT Miller for value. It's keeping JT Miller because you're going to make the playoffs, and why would you trade your top player and leading scorer when that is a scenario? These are all possibilities, and there's too many variables and too many things that could go wrong if you wait, whereas you look at where this situation is now, Everything is is under control from your perspective. You're not in a situation where you just have to take the best offer you get because the trade deadline's in two days. And if you don't take the offer that's on the table right now from a team, you may not be able to move him at all. There is no you know looming threat of losing him for nothing if you're not able to trade him. All of those factors are not in play right now, which is why now is the absolute best time to trade him. And the other thing is, from the perspective of a team that would be thinking about trading for JT Miller, at that point, if it's next year's deadline, you're doing it purely as a rental, right? You're, you have no expectation that you're going to be able to sign him before he hits UFA that summer. And at that point, well, how much are you willing to give up? Yeah, rental prices can be expensive at the trade deadline, but I think it would be so much harder for a team to pay that true kind of king's ransom when they know or at least have a lot of certainty that JT Miller is going to to hit the open market that summer. So, yeah, as you said, there's you're just not so... getting the second overall pick at the trade. No, line. you're absolutely like that, not. That is a, an asset that you will not acquire if you move him. And again, you know, maybe that doesn't happen right now. You know, it's a, it's a conversation piece. It may not actually be an asset that the devils are willing to part with. But as you said, the fact that it's being brought up means that, you know, there's a non-zero chance that that could be involved in a trade. That's an asset that is not on the table at the trade deadline at all. Absolutely not. Um, by the way, you, you said you were watching, uh, suits right now. And, uh, as, as listeners know, in, in another life, I used to be a lawyer very, very briefly. And, uh, this is my suit story. When I was an articling student, the firm I was at, we had a case where we were actually representing a, a current NHL player at the time. And because I was the junior guy in the case, there was like a day-long mediation where the player was there. And my job was just to kind of basically hang out and, and kill time with the player while the real lawyers did the work. And the first thing <laughs> the player asked me was, uh, is being a lawyer like suits? And I, I was very, very disappointed and felt very uncool to have to say, no, it's nothing like that, unfortunately. But there you go. That's my suits you mean and NHL your life story. It wasn't like Harvey Specter's life. <laughs> no, I guess. no, not quite. Not quite like that. But yeah, I was, I was very disappointed. I was like, mm, no, not so much. Sorry, man. Uh, all right. That's. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, uh, a a very in-depth look at where things stand on JT Miller. We haven't even really scratched the surface, to be honest, Badge. I mean, we got people texting in, you know, get into what some of the different returns could look like from these teams, all of that. We will do it at some point in the show, but I did want to kind of switch gears just a little bit to something else that Elliot Friedman had to say on 32 Thoughts today about the potential for a surprise move from the Canucks and also a particular archetype, a particular type of player 
player that the team could be in the market for this summer. I think people are going to want to hear it. It's pretty interesting. We'll play that next. More Canucks talk coming up. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. What's going on? Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Special extended edition of Canucks Hour. It's two Canucks Hours every day from 10 till noon this week and next as we are in peak off-season mode waiting to see what the Vancouver Canucks will do at the draft and in free agency next week. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hit us up. Lots of great thoughts and questions coming in. We'll get to as many as we can throughout the course of the show. Uh, We'll talk a little NHL draft a little bit later in about an hour's time with Tony Ferrari. covers the draft uh, with the Hockey News and SI Now. But before that, still lots of interesting speculation, trade chatter, rumors, all of that to get into. Uh, It is Jamie Dodd here. No Drancer today. He's off traveling to Montreal. So the voice of the Canucks, Brendan Batchelor, is filling in. Batch, you're doing a bang-up job so far, but I, I do have to say I've noticed you haven't mentioned the Florida Panthers or Dom Lucision's playoff model at the Athletic a single time oh, yet. So you got to up your quota right, yes. a little bit there, buddy. I'm sorry. I, I forgot <laughs> that that was a, a requirement. It's a requirement of, of for the, for the co-host on this show. Yeah, we're. Yeah, uh, the, exactly. I, I just so imagine a bunch go. of listeners out there being like, man, I haven't, I haven't heard the Florida Panthers once this hour. What's going That's on today? That's not the laugh I'm used to hearing on this show. <laughs> it's a distinctive laugh, but a different distinctive laugh. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um. So we were talking about JT Miller uh, a lot in the first segment for obvious reasons, because the rumors are, you know, I didn't think it was possible, but they are somehow getting even, you know, more interesting and more heated as we approach the draft in uh, just two days time in Montreal. But I wanted to play another interesting clip from Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts today, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick. And, you know, we were kind of talking about about this yesterday batch while we were planning out the show because Friedman had the note in his 32 Thoughts column on the weekend of, hey, the Canucks could do something that might surprise some people. And, you know, anytime you get a nugget like that, you're going to kind of start to speculate and let your mind wander what that could mean. And we'll talk a little bit about some potential surprises we think could be in the offing, or at least that wouldn't necessarily shock us uh, if we saw them. But I I thought it was interesting what uh, Friedman had to say to kind of expand on that point in today's 32 Thoughts podcast, talking about the notion of a potential surprise from the Canucks and also what type of player they could be interested in. Here's what he had to say. I did write something in my notes that people are wondering about, like Vancouver's surprise move. Someone just said to me that the Canucks were looking at a forward who's a combination of a scorer and a really tough guy to play against. Maybe it's Miller Light. I was going to say, it sounds like you're talking about JT Miller right now. <laughs> yeah. Miller Light. Tastes great. Less filling. We got Lamarillo Light, and now we got Miller Miller Light. Yes, Miller, Miller Light. Yeah, someone said to me that they're looking at that. They're looking for. Yeah. They're looking at a forward who can score and be a real sob to play against. Elliot Friedman reports Nazem Kadri to the Vancouver Canucks. I just don't think they have the money for that. No, I don't yes. think so either. So that is Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick having a little fun with it, but specifically that the Canucks are looking for someone who can both score and is tough to play against. And the funny thing about that is, yeah, you could make the argument that that uh, is JT Miller, (laughs) pretty much. But 
I understand also why, you know, they're looking at uh, options other than JT Miller to kind of fill that role. You know, the Kadri thing at the end there. Yeah, I don't think it makes sense. If you're walking away from JT Miller because you don't like the term and the money it's going to require, you're not going to turn around and give similar term and money to Nazem Kadri. I don't think as much as I like that player. What what uh, what kind of jumps out to you immediately hearing that clip from Friedman and, and Merrick Batch? Well, the first thing is that if you're going to move JT Miller, then I can understand the desire for a player like JT Miller because he's been such a crucial part of your organization that that's a role that you still want to have within your team. Now, you know, again, are any of the players that the Canucks would be looking at in terms of, you know, cost or or ability to acquire or sign um, going to have the same level of impact as JT Miller? No, they're not. So, I, you know, they're joking Miller light, but that makes a ton of sense. And it also takes me back to the comments that Stan Smeal made back in December after the Canucks made their change, you know, letting go of Jim Benning and, and Travis Green, where he spoke passionately about this team needing to get back to being hard to play against. And to be hard to play against, you need to have players of that archetype in your lineup. You need to have JT Millers or, you know, whoever else you could could put into that conversation. Players that other teams do not look forward going up against. Now, you know, not to say that the teams do look forward to playing against some sure, of the Canucks top sure. players, but when you think about the other Canucks top players, you don't think gritty, you don't think mean, you don't think physical overly, right? Like that's those, none of those words are words that I would use to describe Elias Pettersson, although he's a tremendous young talent that is crucial to this organization. I wouldn't use them to describe Quinn Hughes either, but that quotient is critical in having a successful team in the NHL today. And you look at some of the names on the teams that went deep in the Mm -hmm. playoffs this year. You know, Nazem Kadri is a a perfect example. The Lightning, you know, maybe you don't want a guy like Pat Maroon or Corey Perry because of the foot speed issue and the age issue. But those are guys that are hard to play against. So finding a more modern version of that player who can help your team speed, who can contribute offensively, but also is just a nasty piece of business to play against, it makes complete sense to me that the Canucks would want that type of player, regardless of whether they're going to trade JT Miller or not. And then you add in the fact that they're probably going to trade JT Miller. And, you know, it it, it becomes a situation where that's an even greater need than it might have been otherwise. And it's interesting. We play that clip back, right? And someone who can score, but who's a tough SOB to play against. And almost instantly, simultaneously, we had a couple of texts come in, 650-650, hit us up with your thoughts on what Friedman had to say there. But Almost instantly, we have a couple of texts come in that say, Tom Wilson, Tom Wilson, right? And look, if you're talking about that archetype, he is at the absolute top of the list in the NHL. Just has hands, can score, but also deeply unpleasant to play against, so that everyone would agree with. And look, I know we heard, hey, uh, JT Miller to Washington, maybe. I, I just don't see either side really having a lot of interest in that. Like, like 
Tom Wilson is so central to Washington and their style of play and their identity. He's such a big piece of that team. He's also 28, so I don't think Washington would want to move Tom Wilson, and I'm not sure that the Canucks, as much as they might want that style of player, would be thrilled to have him as the kind of centerpiece of a JT Miller trade. I get it. I get why people's minds are going there, and we're getting a ton more that, that are coming into the inbox as well. I, I'm not sure I see a fit or interest from either side when we're talking about that, though. No, exactly. Like they're they're similar players in terms of you talk about their age. Yeah, uh, their cap hit right now is is very comparable. Uh, Tom Wilson's like five point one six, and Miller's five point two five. Uh, you know, Wilson only has two more seasons left on his contract, and then you're going to have the same issue with him that you have with Miller right now in terms of extending a guy who's thirty years old. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me that Tom Wilson would be involved in, in this sort of a, a conversation. It doesn't seem like a fit for the Canucks. Uh, by the way, I did notice that uh, we have a text in on the Dunbar Lumber text line mentioning Sam Bennett, who of course plays for the, the Florida, Florida Panthers. Panthers. There, there we go. go. Ding, ding, ding. Got it in. We got it in. Uh, but but another name that I've heard sort of thrown around that, that interests me a little more in terms of this conversation, and, and we have an unsigned text in asking about it, Josh Anderson. That, to me, you know, may be a, a better fit or a more realistic fit, shall we say, than someone like Tom Wilson. Now, again, Anderson is 28, and he's making $5.5 million, but the difference is he has five more seasons, I believe, at that number. So he is a player that is, you know, signed long-term, a little bit younger than Miller, uh, signed through till he's 33. So you're not in a situation where you're having to commit money to a guy until he's 36, 37, 38. You know, a player that the Montreal Canadiens may be looking to move Mm -hmm. as well. I, you know, I doubt it would be a a JT Miller going to Montreal and Josh Anderson coming the other way, but I just wonder if Josh Anderson is is a fit here in Vancouver. Well, Josh Anderson's an interesting name batch because, yeah, he absolutely fits those characteristics that Friedman was talking about, and I have a really hard time kind of pinning down what his trade value might be because on the one hand, he is that style of player that teams love, that teams covet, right? But the contract, the age, it's not necessarily exactly, yeah, there's cost control, there's cost certainty, but how excited are you really to take on the remainder of that deal? So I do wonder, would the price be a little bit more manageable if that was a name that the Canucks were interested in, that the Canucks were trying to acquire? Could you even work out something where maybe some of your less efficient money on the Canucks books right now goes the other way to Montreal to try to make a Josh Anderson uh, deal happen. So that that's an interesting one to keep in mind just because, yeah, I don't think it would be part of a JT Miller deal. I, I don't think it would be necessarily cost prohibitive either in terms of the price you would have to pay to get Josh Anderson back. We've got some... Uh, We've got some great suggestions coming in. People love your Josh Anderson take. Uh, One person says, fellas, how about Matthew Kachuk? Yeah, that would be a surprise. That would be just a little bit of a surprise if he found his way uh, to Vancouver this offseason. The name that I wanted to throw out, and thinking just about free agency, although I think you're right, there's a lot of interesting ones uh, when you start talking about trade candidates as well. But thinking about free agency, and they were joking about, yeah, Nazem Kadri fits that to a T, but they don't have the cap space to do it. The name that kind of leapt to mind for me was also from the Colorado Avalanche, uh, Valerie Nichushkin, right? And 
I know he hasn't always been. Obviously, he's had his troubles in the past putting the puck in the net. We all know about the goal this season, right? Even until this year, his career high in goals was 13. But he has the kind of offensive breakthrough this year. And if you're just talking about tough to play against, not necessarily in the, you know, the mean streak sense of a Tom Wilson or a Josh Anderson, but being just incredibly defensively responsible and an extremely effective two-way player, plus he has the size, plus he has the speed, I wonder if Nachushkin is somebody who could kind of fit that bill. And the thing with Nachushkin is, yeah, he's going to he's gonna get a nice contract this year, but I don't know if it's going to be in the same stratosphere that, for example, a Nazem Kadri is, is going to get. Well, it's not going to be in the same stratosphere. It's going to be at least a tier or two below that. So that's another name that just kind of popped into my mind that's going to be on the free agency market and might check a couple of those boxes. Yeah, here here's my thought on that. And someone on the Dunbar Lumber text line has the exact same thought, 650-650. Unsigned text says, it would be the most Canucks thing ever (laughs) to overpay for Nachushkin. And that's my worry. You're right. You know, Val Nachushkin, like, I I like him a lot as a player. I think he'd be a great fit in Vancouver. Um, But I also think that someone is going to way overpay for him because of his performance down the stretch in the playoffs and particularly in the Stanley cup final when he was producing points while playing on one foot, essentially. Um, He seems to me like a player who is primed to get a contract that's way more than he deserves. So I like the fit with the player. If the contract makes sense, I like the idea of bringing him into this Canucks group. I just, I just think someone's going to pay way too much or give him way too much term as a guy that's 27 um, to, to, for ha- to have it make sense for the Canucks. And based on some of the things we've talked about with this management group and some of the decisions they've made, which, again, th- there isn't a big body of work in terms of player transactions, but they've all been sort of smart, calculated moves, whether it's the Hamannick trade, whether it's the Mott trade. Uh, you know, obviously being able to convince Kuzmenko to sign here was a, a wonderful piece of business on a, a contract that really has no downside on a one-year deal. To me, it would be out of character for this management group to go to Val Nachushkin and back up the Brinks truck for him. And I believe someone's going to do that this offseason. So I don't believe that the Canucks will be the team to do it. But everything else you say is right. He would be a tremendous fit here. Yeah, and that's always the problem with going after guys from, you know, certainly the cup winner, but even the the, uh, the cup finalist, the the guys in the conference finals, they all get such a, a boost in value around the league, right? Because we're seeing them do it over and over again, night after night on the biggest stage. So I agree with you. Maybe it's a pipe dream, but, I, you know, I, I just wonder if his previous offensive struggles help keep the price down just enough, just enough. I'm not saying it would be a bargain or anything like that, but just enough to the point where it might make sense for the Canucks. But another name that jumped to mind for me as well, and Brendan and Nanaimo text this in, uh, what about Andrew Kopp? And Kopp's another guy, kind of similar profile to Valerie Nichushkin, where he wasn't always offensively prolific in the past. But when he joined the Rangers in the regular season and then in the playoffs, I mean, he had a ton of offensive success, and he fits that mold of big, fast, versatile, can play different positions, up and down your lineup, all of that. He's another player that's kind of right there with Nichushkin for me, where I can absolutely see why the Canucks would be interested. I think he'd make a ton of sense, but I just wonder if, for all of those reasons, so many other teams would be interested, and it's going to drive the price up too much as well. Yeah, I, 
I like Andrew Kopp a lot as a player, and I think there very well could be a fit here in Vancouver. I wonder about the price, although I assume that it won't, you know, be driven up quite as high as Nachushkin's for all the reasons you mentioned that, uh, of course, he was a Stanley Cup winner and was a key part of, of you know, the the push for Colorado in that series to eventually win the Cup. Uh, you know, I've loved Andrew Kopp as a player for a long time, and it's not just because he's, you know, been a Canuck killer to a certain extent. <laughs> he's played some very good games against the Canucks for the Winnipeg Jets, but for all the reasons you mentioned, you know, he's a guy that can play all over your lineup. He can play up the lineup, down the lineup. He can play the wing. He can play a bit of the middle if you need him to. And he brings all of those things that we're talking about in a Miller light, if we want to, you know, characterize that as, as Elliot and Jeff did in terms of, of how they're framing this discussion. Andrew Kopp is a name that makes a ton of sense to me that I think would be a perfect fit here in Vancouver. And again, the question with Kopp, as it will be with any of these free agents, is how high will the price be driven up? You know, how competitive will the market be? You know, how far to the wall will the Canucks be willing to go to to sign a player like that? But if all of those factors work in the Canucks' favor, Andrew Kopp to me is absolutely a player they should seriously be looking at to come and join this group because I think he would be a perfect fit to to whether he plays down the lineup to start and ends up playing with some of their younger players and can help bring them along whether it's you know a Pod Colson or a Kuzmenko or a Hoaglander like if you look at Niels Hoaglander you know he's a he's a bit more undersized than Andrew Kopp is but to me, that's the kind of player that Niels Hoaglander could become in the future. I, 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 for, for a variety of reasons, I love the Andrew Kopp take. I love that fit in Vancouver. Yeah, Kopp and Nachushkin were the two guys that jumped to mind immediately for me when I heard that clip from Freeman. And again, that's thinking only about UFAs. You expand it to trade targets, and it does get interesting. And I think the other element of this, and you know, we'll build on this a little bit more in the next segment, because... Part of, okay, the Canucks could do something that surprise us. That could be an acquisition, but I think that could also be a departure, right? And, you know, something like Andrew Kopp or Valerie Nichushkin, if the Canucks find a way to move out a significant chunk of money, you know, let's say even beyond a JT Miller trade, right? All of a sudden, names like that become a lot more plausible in free agency. If, if all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, the cap room they have right now, plus you lose Miller's contract, plus... Another, you know, four, five, six million somewhere else. I think all of a sudden then it does become a lot more realistic to actually talk about some of these targets. And we've got some really interesting suggestions just in general for players that the Canucks could target. You know, one of my uh, favorite hobby horses, somebody texts in, what about Evgeny Malkin? I mean, I think that's the kind of thing where if all of a sudden they surprise us by opening up even more cap space than we might have been anticipated, it just opens up so many different avenues for you to explore and different things you can actually try to do to get better uh, in free agency. Whereas right now we're looking at it and, you know, it just feels like anything in the Andrew Kopp tier even would probably be a little bit too expensive given where they are with the salary cap right now. But we'll talk a little bit, uh, a little bit more about that potential surprise moves the Canucks could make beyond just the, 
you know, the the player who can score but who's tough to play against archetype that Elliot Friedman was talking about. And uh, last word here to Eddie and Kitts who says, I also endorse the Andrew Cop trade, the real RoboCop. This guy can lay the body. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of reasons to like what Andrew Cop brings to the table if the deal actually made sense from a team perspective as well. More talk on the other side. Uh, we'll also do some draft talk a little bit later in about half an hour with Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News and SINow.com. So if you've got last minute or last week draft questions, I guess, uh, about prospects the Canucks could be interested in, hit us up 650-650. More on the way. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.